0: Great. Well, good evening, Aldridge, and uh, we're continuing the sermon series we've been looking at tonight on the Gospel of Luke, and uh, if you haven't already worked out, we're not necessarily doing this Gospel chronologically, but we're trying to match up different passages with different seasons of the church's year where possible, and we're hoping that this series will probably take us right through to Easter next year with possible one-off sermons interspersed throughout. And uh, as John just made reference to, uh, next week is the beginning of Advent, the church's season of preparation, when we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus, but also prepare for Jesus' second coming. That word Advent means a coming or uh, an arrival, And uh, tonight, as we're on the verge of this season of preparation, we're looking at a passage when the preparations for the coming of the Messiah, this Redeemer, this Deliverer that Israel has been waiting for for centuries, we're looking at a passage when these preparations suddenly take on uh, a new expectancy, when there's a new depth to those preparations. And uh, the passage we've just looked at is kind of a passage of three different cameos, three little scenarios, three different focuses on different people's lives, where God places a call on people's lives. And we see three different responses to those particular calls. And we're going to take a look tonight at how those characters respond. And these responses and these calls revolve around two births, the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. And as we go through this talk today, I'd like you to have a think about two things. Firstly, what is God's call on my life right now? At times, God puts different focuses, different emphases on our lives. But what is the one thing or couple of things that God wants us to press into, that God wants us to invest in right now at this time in our life? And secondly, how are we responding to that? Emotionally, are we on board with what it is God is asking us to do? Or are we actually kind of running the other direction and trying to hide? Are we taking practical steps to see that thing come about God uh, is bringing us into right now at this time in our lives. So we're going to look at these three cameos, these three different scenarios of people's responses of uh, the call of God on their lives. We're going to take a look at each one individually. Well, I don't know if you've already noticed, but I noticed the other day that Christmas films are already on TV. It is good news for me. I would be watching Christmas films in August if it was possible. And uh, we have in our house this thing called Now TV. Some of you might have heard of it. It's a bit like Netflix. And uh, I did notice that the Christmas films are already on Now TV, which is very exciting. Liam and I watched a film this afternoon. It wasn't quite a Christmas film, but I'm sure it's going to happen fairly soon. And uh, I thought I would tell you a little bit about uh, one of my favourite Christmas films. And uh, Advent's next week, so I think we can just about get away with it. And it's a film called Jack Frost. And Jack Frost is a real heartwarming family Christmas film. And if you've not watched it, it starts, or towards the beginning of this film, there's this scene with Charlie, who is uh, an 11-year-old boy. His dad, Jack... And his mum, Gabby, and you can see on Charlie's face on, on Charlie 's face that he's looking for, for approval from his dad. His dad is really encouraging him to play ice hockey, and he wants his dad to come to his games. Gabby, uh, Jack's wife, uh, Charlie's mum, knows this. but Charlie, uh, many times, has been disappointed by his dad because his dad is so keen to invest in his work, so keen to work hard, he's a musician, that he's just missed lots of games. And this particular scene is where Gabby says to Jack that he's got to stop doing this, because at some point, Charlie is going to become disillusioned and is going to stop believing his dad. And in this particular scene, Jack promises to go to one of these games, Sadly, once again, he's in the recording studio, and ironically, he's recording a film called Don't Lose Your Faith. And as he goes through that recording, suddenly, time ticks by, and he misses his son's game. And as we turn to the passage we're looking at tonight, Jesus never disappoints us. Jesus never fails us, but there are times when it can feel as if life disappoints us, as if life fails us, and at times that can kind of cloud how willing we are to respond to the call of God on our lives. If you've not got your Bibles open, do turn with me to that passage and follow along, Uh, Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5, Luke 1 verse 5. And uh, it leads on to this first response we see in the first set of characters to the call of God on these people's lives. And in these characters that we're going to look at, we see how disappointment has clouded their view and their willingness to respond to God's call. So uh, just to set the context, we're right at the beginning of Luke's Gospel, uh, and as yet, nothing has happened in the introduction to Luke's gospel, in the few passages, few verses before the passage we're looking at today, we read that this is an account about the person of Jesus, written to a guy called Theophilus, who was probably like a patron or something to Luke, who helps fund this investigation into the life and person of Jesus. And it's likely that Luke wrote this account about 80 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So the passage we're looking at today is really the first part of this account about the life of Jesus. And the first thing we read in this account is of an old couple, Elizabeth and Zechariah. And Elizabeth and Zechariah have been faithfully serving the Lord for many years. Zechariah is a priest and Elizabeth is the daughter of a priest. And Elizabeth is childless and has been unable to have children. And even these days, childlessness for a couple who are longing to have children can be an incredibly painful experience. In our morning sermon series at the moment, we're looking at 1 Samuel. And a few weeks ago, Nigel preached really well about this whole issue of childlessness And I would encourage you to take a listen to that if you weren't there that morning. But childlessness is painful. And back then, the stigma attached to childlessness was even greater. As a woman, Elizabeth would have had little status in society anyway. Without children, whatever status she may have had would have been taken away. Elizabeth was seen as a disgrace to her family and there would be shame on her for not being able to have children. People were probably reluctant to hang around too much with Elizabeth or Zechariah. They probably tried to keep their distance. So Elizabeth and Zechariah know pain in their life. There's a sadness in their life. And uh, as I say, Zechariah is a priest. And at this time in Israel, there were lots of priests, but one temple. And the priests were divided into 24 divisions. And each division would serve in the one temple in Jerusalem for one week, twice a year. And because there were so many priests and not so many duties for the priests to perform, these duties were divided up and uh, lots were taken for which role people would do at uh, each time. And the best role you could get was the act of worship, of, of offering incense at the altar in Jerusalem. This was such a privilege that priests could only perform this job once in their life some priests never got the opportunity of offering incense at the altar in Jerusalem. So as Zechariah is chosen for this job by Lot, this is the biggest moment, the most important moment in his life. And as he goes into the holy place in the temple in Jerusalem, he begins to offer this incense and his fellow priests Wait outside. And as he performs this act of worship, of waving this incense before the altar, he prays. And he performs this act of worship, not just for himself, but on behalf of the whole nation of Israel. And because what he's doing is an act on behalf of the whole nation of Israel and also probably, because of the response we read about in a few moments' time, what he prays is probably not, Lord, give us a child. That's probably not the prayer he's praying right here. We don't read what the prayer is, but given these circumstances, it's unlikely to be that. What it's more likely to be is the prayer of Israel at the time. Israel had been waiting for this Messiah. And now there's a new hunger, a greater hunger that this Messiah would come. And so his prayer is possibly, Lord, send the Messiah. Send your chosen Redeemer. Deliver Israel. And as he prays, and as he performs this act of worship, suddenly... He's gripped with fear because in front of him, to the right of the altar, to the left of the golden lampstand, stands this amazing, beautiful, magnificent, terrifying angel. And the angel says to him, your prayer, the prayer you've just been praying has been heard by God. And God is going to use you as a part of the answer. As part of the answer to that prayer, you are going to have a son. And he's going to be called John. He'll be a delight to you. And he will bring the people of God back to God. And he will prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. And it's Zechariah's response that I want to look at here. He says to the angel... How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well on in years. What he's saying is, how is this possible? I don't see how this is possible. This doesn't make sense. I'm old and my wife is beyond the age of being able to have children. And so he asks the angel for a sign that what the angel is saying is going to happen is actually going to happen. Now, I've not had an angel appear to me before suddenly, but I have a feeling that if I did, I think the fact that there is an angel in front of me would be sign enough that what God's saying, what the angel is saying is going to happen is actually going to happen. And Zechariah is a holy man. He's a good man. But he's also a hurt man. He's a man for whom life has taken its toll. Especially around this issue of childlessness. This has been an issue that has caused him so much pain in the past that he has built like a protective fortress around his heart. He's covering this. He's done with this issue. He's done with hoping for a child. Because to hope for a child is to continue to be disappointed. Which is to mean more pain. Zechariah has had enough of this issue. And so when the angel says to him, you're going to have a child, he can't handle it. He can't cope with it. He can't allow this protective fortress to be broken because he fears that if he's hurt anymore, he fears that he will die. And as we sit here today, maybe there are dreams and longings that we have had, perhaps for many years that long ago we also have let go of. Maybe it is around the issue of childlessness. Perhaps it could be something completely different. Maybe it's a desire for a promotion at work, something you've been working towards for such a long time, and it just is not happening. Maybe it's a desire for a deeper relationship with your children or with your parents that just seems impossible. Perhaps it's something else. But these are things that hurt. And these are things that scar. And these are also areas in which God wants to reach into and to touch and to bring healing. And the difficult thing here, the challenge, is that it means we need to be vulnerable because God will never force his way in. Learning to trust that when God touches us, he does not harm, but brings life and wholeness. For Zechariah, he's been so hurt But even when it's an angel who says he's going to have a child, he can't believe it. He can't allow himself to believe it. And so he has this response to the angel. I'm an old man and my wife is well on in years. And this messenger from God, Gabriel, this angel, he says back to to Zechariah, well, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. And actually, that is enough. He doesn't need to say any more. It is God who has said this, and it is God who will fulfill this. In the end, Zechariah asks for this sign, and he gets the sign. The angel makes him mute. From that moment, right up until uh, John is born at the age of eight days old at uh, John's circumcision. And uh, Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And we have cameo one, Zechariah's painful disbelief. In verses 26 to 38 of our passage, we have cameo two. And we're introduced to the character of Mary, and we don't know a huge amount about Mary's background, other than the fact that she's from a place called Nazareth in Galilee, that she's a virgin, and that she's a descendant from the line of King David. Really important because the Old Testament has prophesied that Jesus, the Messiah, is going to be from, uh, is going to be a descendant of David. And it's the sixth month of uh, Elizabeth's pregnancy. And an angel appears to Mary, the same angel, in fact, that appeared to Elizabeth. And this angel says to Mary, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. You will give birth to a son who will be called Jesus. He will be the son of God, will sit on David's throne. And his kingly reign over Israel will never end. And if that happened to me firstly I'd be quite surprised because I'm male secondly I think I would pass out And instead Mary asks the angel a question just like Zechariah had Zechariah asked how will uh, Zechariah asked uh, how can I be sure of this what you were saying Cannot happen. Mary asks a slightly different question. Her question is How will this be since I am a virgin? And actually, it's a very practical question. She's asking here about a process. This is not a question of disbelief. How can I become pregnant when I've not yet had sex with a man? How does this process work? It's a practical question. And the angel replies to her uh, that it was, it's the Holy Spirit, or through the, through the Holy Spirit, that she will conceive and give birth to uh, Jesus. As evidence of God's power to perform something that seems impossible, the angel says to Mary that Elizabeth, who we now hear is related to Mary, is six months pregnant Elizabeth, who Mary knows, was considered to be barren. And Mary responds like this. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel disappears. I'm not quite sure Mary has completely considered the implications of what she's saying yes to. To me, it kind of sounds a little naive. Does she really know what she's saying yes to here? Mary is not married. She's engaged, but she's not married. This is clearly going to look like sex outside marriage. There was a death penalty still in place for sex outside marriage. And yet she simply says, yep, all right, I'll do it. That's fine with me. Last week at our confirmation service in the evening, the bishop spoke about his children when they were younger and spoke about their joy and their excitement about the simplest things in life. And I think something similar could be said about faith as well. Uh, Scholars range in opinions as to Mary's age, some say she's 12, some say she's 14. But whatever it was, she was young. One of the things I love about working with our youth and YF is that they are passionate about God. They have a hunger to grow in their relationship with God. And there's a simplicity and an innocence to their faith that they believe that what God says will happen will indeed happen. And I think this is what Jesus is getting on to when he says, a little later in Luke 18 verse 17, "I tell you the truth: Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it." As we, as we grow older, like Elizabeth and Zechariah here, things of life can cloud our vision. And I pray that we as a church, yes, would mature in our faith, that we would grow in our faith, but that we would learn to nurture and encourage that childlike simplicity of faith that we see here in Mary. Cameo two, Mary's simple acceptance. And lastly, we come on to cameo three. Though a good man and a holy man, Zechariah is a hurt man. And this hurt influences his response to God. What we have is painful disbelief. Mary responds with simplicity and childlike faith. And now in Cameo 3, we see Elizabeth and Mary brought together. And as they come together, they celebrate and share the joy of what God is doing in them and through them. It's spontaneous, overflowing, exuberant worship. And as Mary arrives at Elizabeth's house, uh, Elizabeth prophesies, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. John, still a baby in her mum's belly, jumps for joy as Mary comes into the house. Jesus, still a fetus inside Mary. John, still a baby inside his mum's belly, but already beginning to fulfil the role that he will fill later in life, pointing to Jesus. I think it's beautiful that God gives Mary Elizabeth and that God gives Elizabeth Mary. Two people related naturally, but who now have this very special, unique relationship as well. And Mary sings out this beautiful, spontaneous song of worship. This thing we've already said together. What the church traditionally calls Magnificat. And it begins with simple, pure worship. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. I praise you for who you are. And whilst it's beautiful and spontaneous, Mary nevertheless doesn't forget who she is and what God has done for her in particular. She goes on, for he has been mindful of the humble state of of his servant. She later adds, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. I'm a nobody, and yet you've seen me. You've chosen me. You've blessed me. And yet it's bigger than just me. You lift up all the humble. You fill all the hungry. We praise you that you are this God, this topsy turvy God, this upside down God, the God who blesses the people that we least expect to be blessed. So we have these three cameos, three different responses to the call of God on different individuals' lives. May we be able to work through with God some of the pain of our past, that we would rediscover that childlike simplicity of faith and that it would lead to an overflowing, exuberant act of worship, not just once in church, but for the whole of our lives. Shall we pray together?